Alrighty then. Greetings, Earthlings. This is Chris Latori, and you're listening to issue number 11 of the Sunspots Comics Podcast. Can't believe it's issue number 11, where I basically dive in, jump in, head on into the fortress, the gladiator arena, the, the realm of all things comic books. My heart, the juiciest of the juicy hobbies I'm into. And thanks for listening. Thank you for following us at Sunspots Comics on the Twitter, on the Instagram, on the Facebook. We appreciate your support there. And also keep a lookout on sunspotscomics.com soon for zombie destroyers. That's all I'm going to say. No, I won't. I'll say more. It's a, are, you, are you into walking? Do you like walking sticks? Well, there's going to be a zombie destroyer walking stick coming soon. And cool bracelets. Things you can customize, but just with just cool stuff on it, like ZD. So more to come on that. It's a fun, just happening, hip, whatever <laughs> you want to call it, project. Something I dig and something a good, two good friends of mine were kind enough to let me be a part of. Coming soon. So check out Zombie Destroyers on sunspotscomics.com very, very soon. And this particular podcast focuses upon New Comic Book Day for July 15th. It was a small week. Seven mighty but powerful issues. They were, they, were, they were all great. Well, they were really good. Three of them were super great. So those are going to be my top three. We'll get into that. But this one, this podcast is going to focus also around Ant-Man. And I've got two bits of audio. One with me and my wife Patsy. And one with me and my son Justin. And the one with Patsy is, which I'll play here in a second. We just, I just threw on the microphone and stuck it in her face right after we saw the movie. I was thinking about jumping in there and getting other people to give me their thoughts and ideas, but we just ran out of time. We had a whole bunch of other stuff to do, and so it just didn't happen. But maybe in another Marvel movie coming soon, Fantastic Four, August. So, and then the one with me and Justin, I just took him to work. And decided to throw the mic in his face for five minutes, seven minutes on his, on the, you know, when I took him to work. So that is, was a lot of fun. Both were a whole lot of fun. But uh, we'll go right into that. But before I do, I just wanted to briefly talk about Ant-Man. And I loved it. Loved it, loved it, loved it. And, well, we'll talk, maybe I'll discuss more after it. Let's just, let's just run the first one. First one is with, um, the review is with me and Patsy talking about Ant-Man. Here you go. So I'm standing here at the AMC Theaters, IMAX Theaters, immediately after the, I just saw Ant-Man in IMAX with my wife, Patsy, and we saw a matinee, and what did you think, honey? Tell me about your thoughts on this movie. Paul Rudd. <laughs> wow. Keep going. I did time out. I wasn't no ready. <laughs> It was awesome. I love, I've always loved Paul Rudd. I love these Marvel movies. And someone might. <laughs> Sorry, you have to get really close, otherwise, I can't really hear you. But uh, so, A. Plus? Yes, I love a movie that'll bring excitement, make me laugh, make me cry, all of it. Wait a second, wait a second. There was crying involved? Yes. <laughs> so, I thought that the the heart of the story too being this relationship between his his daughter and I that definitely hit me in a sweet spot as well um so what was your favorite part of the movie that I think was my believe it or not my the action was amazing I loved when he went 
small to big so quickly, and is the relationship with the ants was adorable. But I thought that the wife, the the, uh, the wife, the the relationship with his daughter, that he was trying to rekindle that relationship and be the dad that he knew deep in, inside he could be. Those are some of my favorite parts. But what was what was your favorite moment or moments in the movie? What did you love about it? What was your favorite part? I loved it all. I don't know. It's when the action started, the big fight between the <laughs> ant and the wasp was pretty awesome. Yeah, that was awesome, right? Like the the train set where they're having this epic battle. It seems enormous, right? And there's lasers and explosions, and they're fighting on like one of those little teeny little wooden trains. As they pan out, the the action just seems so minute, right? Yes. So I loved it. She loved it. We'll see if we can try to get some other people's reaction. Thank you, Patsy. I appreciate that. I want to see it again. So there you have it with Patsy. And yeah, I, I didn't, uh, we didn't go to try to get anyone else. It's just, I had to go to the bathroom really bad as soon as that movie was over. I had a massive 94-ounce drink, like I just walked off the surface of the sun or something. And so I had to run immediately to the restroom. And so didn't catch a lot of people exiting. And due to the theater movie times, etc., there was no other Ant-Man viewing exiting. So we had other stuff to do, unfortunately, so we had to bounce. But next up, here comes me and Justin's uh, on our way to his place of employment. Uh, the Jack in the Box. That's right. And we just I just stuck the mic in his face again, so we didn't practice, set up, rehearse, nothing. This is just raw, folks. We know you like it raw. Here it is. Here comes me and Jables. I'm here to do a quick review on the Ant-Man movie. And uh, I'm pretty sure everybody's excited to hear about it. Uh, I was pretty excited to go and see it. And I know my dad and Patsy were all excited to go see it, so uh, we're going to talk about it for you today, hopefully with uh, very little spoilers. So uh, let's start it off. What do you think, Dad? Maybe we should spoil it. What do you think? We could put warnings and just spoil away at it? Yeah, sure. I mean, I'm always down for spoilers. You know me. Because you saw it on Thursday night, premiere night, and I saw it Saturday, a matinee. So, and this probably will post Monday, you know, Sunday, late Sunday night. So what do you think? Let's just spoil it away. Yeah, sure. Quick 10-minute spoilers. That's fun. So, uh, yeah, so I guess we'll talk about, you know, stuff I liked. I, I definitely liked um, the story. Story-wise, it was uh, it was very good and grabbing. I, I did not expect uh, uh, the Ant-Man story to be that grabbing. You know, I, I, uh, I wasn't expecting, you know, Paul Rudd's character to be too, like, I guess, too emotionally you know, invested to the, to the story, you know, like I thought maybe it'd be a little bit more about Hank Pym and kind of, you know, how the technology and stuff, but it was more, I guess, uh, emotional, you know? I agree. I think the heart of the movie for me was the father daughter relationships between both, you know, Michael Douglas's character and Paul Rudd and, and their daughters. I think that to me was like the heart of the movie, you know, these men in a way trying to do more Paul Rudd, I guess, to his character than, than, Michael Douglas says, but really trying to do right for his daughter, right? And rekindle that relationship that had been messed up in the past? Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, Hank Pym, his daughter kind of, you know, dislikes him because uh, I guess something happened with with their, with their his mom, with Janet, the original wasp, you know, and she he kind of kept that a secret from her. And, you know, every once in a while he throws the lie out, you know, that she died in a plane crash. And 
all that junk, and she doesn't believe him. She just wants to know what happened. So she kind of resents him for that. And then Paul Rudd's daughter, you know, she I don't I don't think she really knows that he's a criminal, but you know he's a he's a he's a cat burglar. He he robs people, you know, and so uh, he's been to prison and. You know, his his ex-wife kind of doesn't let him see the daughter. And so, you know, the daughter kind of has a, kind of a, you know, a, a pretty picture of the dad, but she doesn't really know. And uh, I think that whole, you know, kind of rekindlement of the relationship between those, you know, those two is really important for the story and for Ant-Man. I agree. And, you know, the daughter, Paul Rudd's daughter, Cassie, she is a young Avenger in the very f- distant future. So maybe that's one of those little Easter eggs there too. I think did they cover that on the Easter eggs? That yeah, that uh, I looked up the Easter eggs after the movie too, and that was definitely one of them. But uh, I don't I don't know if that's gonna be in the near future or I don't know what's phase fourteen. Yeah, I know. And after the whole, you know, Infinity Wars and stuff, like way after that, the year twenty thirty or something. Yeah. So other than that, there was a there was one thing that I didn't. That didn't really register right with me in the movie. It was um, the bad guy. Um, I forget his name right now, but he was yellow yeah the yellow the yellow jacket. But uh, Mr. Cross. yeah, uh, Derek. I think it was Derek Cross, right? Um, he he was the assistant to Hank Pym, which is kind of explained really quick and kind of without detail. Like he he just kind of explains that um, it was it was Hank Pym's assistant who was shut out from the company or something like that. And he dislikes him for it and whatnot. So, it's um, it's it's kind of weird. Say, uh, you know, um, this is gonna have to be cut out in post. But uh, it's kind of weird, you know, seeing how the bad guy had kind of very little backstory to you know to his character. So it was weird to to kind of you know have that. You know what I'm saying? Like. I really wanted to know more about him, and it just seemed like he had no depth to the character. You know, it was just kind of he was there, and he was a bad guy, and uh, I didn't really like that. I still think he did a great job, honestly. I, I, you know, the development of the primary characters to me seemed so much more important. They touched upon some area there that I think added some depth to him, whereas he had that conversation with Hank Pym about why did you choose me, and why didn't you bring me in, and why didn't you share me? He's like... That father figure that that character didn't have, they didn't go that deep, but it it gave me a flavor of him that he was also trying to meet the expectations of this father figure, yet this father figure, Hank Pym, didn't feel that way about him, like maybe the son he never had, per se. He He just felt maybe there was something a little off with the guy as his assistant, and that's sort of all he wanted to keep him as, you know? Yeah. He ended up taking over the company kind of, uh, you know, immorally like he they voted Hank Pym out of Pym Industries which is like ridiculous like how does that even happen but uh um so yeah he's voted out of the company and and Derek Cross is like the closest to Hank Pym so I guess he kind of you know um inherited the company in a way or like he gave it to him but uh yeah yeah the hostile takeover so I uh I I felt that the actor that played uh Yellow Jacket was good and he's obviously a one and done kind of bad guy. Like he, there's really no um, future for him. He's, you know, you'll figure out in the movie. But you know, he, he's um, he's definitely just kind of a one and done character. That was, you know, it was good. But uh, I just think that they could have gone into more depth with him, and that um, 
if they would have, they might have made it a little bit more interesting to see, you know, Ant-Man and Yellow Jacket fight. You know, maybe they, I would love to see if they cut the movie. Like, if they ended up going deeper into the cross-character Yellow Jacket, but maybe they were a little afraid with the Ant-Man, you know, franchise and with this character. Maybe, hopefully, Blu-ray, director's cut. Maybe there'll be some more information on him to add some depth. You know what I thought was weird? Was that that guy, the actor, which is, I don't remember his name, he's on that show, The Strain. And he had a full head of hair. And now he's got, like, no hair, and it doesn't look like... So it must have just been a wig the whole time in The Strain, and I, I thought, you know, that was a little jarring to me. I'm like, oh, that's the guy from The Strain, but wait, he had like a full head of hair. And you could tell it's not just like he shaved his head. The dude's bald. So, yeah. Yeah, it looks like he's, he's been bald. He might have been wearing a, a wig the whole time. That's, that's pretty interesting. I didn't know he was in that show. Yeah, and he's really good in it. He's the good guy in that. And, you know, uh, I guess someone said once that, it's not possible for all of Hollywood to have beautiful, long, flowing hair. <laughs> so, because that makes perfect sense. But I thought that was a little jarring. But he's great in the strain. Is the great is the good guy, and here he is. That I I thought he played a pretty decent bad guy. And you, you, uh, they they built him as rather intelligent, not just just sort of a one sided bad guy, in my opinion, because he was able to figure out the long plot they'd put together. So I thought that was something interesting. Yeah, he was definitely a one-sided bad guy. Like, he just kind of had this whole plot, and he just executed it. Like, there was... That's another kind of complaint I had about it, is that he... he again, going back, he didn't really have depth. You know, like, you didn't really know why he wanted to, to you know, destroy Hank Pym and why he wanted to kill him. and all, So, like, I, I just kind of wanted to know more about that. But moving on real quick. And last thing on that, too, is they touched upon how the particles affected their brain chemistry. So... That maybe had to do with it. It made him more maniacal. Also, I think that um, uh, we should go back, as you were just about to do, sorry, go back into, say, let's jump into Paul Rudd because I think there weren't enough Ruddisms. Yeah, I definitely agree. He could have, everybody knows, everybody knows Paul Rudd's hilarious. So, like, they they seemed like maybe they superheroed him up, like they dialed him down a little bit. So it was, it was weird, but I, I still liked him in the movie, the, the, Mexican uh, best friend, I forget his name. Michael Pena, yeah. yeah. I forget it. Hector, I think his name is right. He was hilarious. He definitely pulled the he definitely pulled the the comic value of the movie. They, him retelling how he came about something, that style of how they did that to retell the uh, that was definitely I think Edgar Wright was the director that was supposed to be on the movie. You know, Hot Fuzz. He, he's still credited in the movie. He's the the co writer, co director. Kind of. I think it had to be specifically for Michael Pena's scenes about him remembering how a story came to mind and how he went about. They they did the the flashback of those conversations and Michael Pena's voice was played by everyone and that was hilarious. I thought that was awesome. Yeah, and uh, at the end of that that uh, of the movie, you know, you get the um, kind of the resolution and and. Uh, Paul Rudd's character ends up kissing Evangeline's character, Evangeline Lilly's character, who's going to be the new Wasp, you know, spoiler. But um, at the end of that, you get Michael Pena's last kind of retelling of a story. And they men- and Falcon, you know, they fought earlier in the movie, Ant-Man and Falcon. But at the uh, Falcon is telling this news reporter that there is a person in the world that can crawl up walls and web sling. So that means that Spider-Man is active right now, I think. I, I don't know if it's true that he's he's a superhero at the moment, but he's around. Civil War? Big question mark. Who knows? But going back to Paul Rudd, if I could, real fast. I think that, 
again, they're maybe fearful of the franchise not doing well, and they maybe cut some of, of Paul Rudd, and I hope that in the Blu-ray or director's cut or something, there's more. I think they do a smart job of making you want more, right? They should leave you wanting more. So I think that Paul Rudd maybe was just, they dialed him in a little, and maybe in the second one, Ant-Man 2, scheduled to be out 2018? No, I don't know. I hope so. They just sort of let Paul Rudd a little loose, a little looser, more Ruddisms. Yeah, he, he he definitely adapted for this role. He was a good superhero, a good uh, comic superhero. So it was it was definitely good to see him in a kind of new role. You know, like it was it was fun to watch him as a comedic superhero. So yeah, so that's uh, that's pretty much gonna wrap it up. We could talk about this for hours, but uh, but you gotta go to work. We're actually sitting right in front of his Jack in the Box where he works, and he's gotta go in at five. So we just busted out a quick mini pod movie. Yeah. So. Uh, Hopefully uh, we can do more of these. I would like to start my own podcast. Me and Dad have been talking back and forth about that. So uh, that's uh, that's it. So I'm Justin Latori, Chris Latori, and uh, we're signing off of Sunspots Comics Movie Time Awesomeness Podcast. See you later. Bye. So there you go. There you have it. Jables and the wife Patsy, and go see Ant Man. I mean, it was just so good. The Marvel Cinematic Universe tie-ins, the Spider-Man Easter egg, the Stan Lee cameo. I mean, it's just everything you want and just chocked full of so much comic book goodness. And I don't have huge emotional ties to Scott Lang and and Ant-Man, so another one that exceeded my expectations, I think, uh, in the realm of Guardians of the Galaxy, it is going to be a serious surprise hit. And looking forward to Ant-Man Part 2 and Civil War and all of it to just keep on going. And I got to tell you, Michael Pena, too, he stole the show with the... I, mean, I think he paired well. I can't say stole the show. Of, of the comedy pairing, he was hilarious. And he is just... Every moment he's on the screen, you're, you're already laughing. So I had a blast with it. want to see it again. So Ant-Man, go check it out, please. A+. plus, Thumbs up. So next up, six things coming soon to a theater and comic book near you. So first up, Vertigo announced, Vertigo Comics, you know, an offshoot of DC, announces they're going to do 12 new titles. Vertigo Comics doing 12 new titles. I'm excited about this because... Their approach is going to be a little bit unique. It's going to sort of be in the realm of image comics where they want to create unique sort of creator-owned design stories, letting some of these artists and writers just free, free to flow, free to flock, free to do whatever floats into their freaking weird minds and run with stuff. So uh, I won't list them all, but 12 titles coming from Vertigo Comics. Fantastic. Looking forward to that. And the other one is The Usual Suspects. It's from Newsarama. Fantastic movie from 1995. They're doing a comic series that's actually covering like a prequel like nine years prior. And it's going to be a period piece. So this will be set in the late 80s, which is cool. My era. And they're going to show more of the setup, more of the team coming together. Maybe more of Kaiser Soze they tease upon. Looks like they haven't landed completely the staff on who's going to be doing it, but they do show a little art piece from it. It looks very noir, very dark, very shadowy, very, you know, guy in a fedora, lighting a cigarette in the dark. And I'm excited about this. I love that movie. And he was gone. And next series are comic books that are kind of, this was kind of an interesting story from Fox News, believe it or not. 
Hollywood writer releases comic books exclusive to Central Pennsylvania. Why does only Central Pennsylvania get comic books? Why? why? Well, I guess he's local to that, uh, to that area. And Darren Henry, who was a writer for little shows you might have heard of, like Jerry Seinfeld, Ellen DeGeneres, Larry David, he is doing some comics, and they're above the normal size of comics too, which is kind of a nice value, like sixty pages, which is cool, you know, compared to a normal twenty-page comic book, for about the same price, five ninety-nine. But how do I get them from central Pennsylvania? So, and then he even put out a website called Sit Comics. The two first issues, looks like the two number ones, Blue Baron is the first one. And it just looks like a satire of comics and it just looks like it's going to be hilarious. <laughs> and then Super Suckers, which is in the realm of like an Archie zombie comic, but cleaner and happier than, say, the Afterlife with Archie series. And it has the same art style, the traditional Archie comics, but this is a seasoned comedy writer jumping into the realm of comic books, so I'm in. i got to check this out, but have to have someone ship it from Pennsylvania because it does look like he's selling it there. But, oh, here we go. On his website, you can get it digitally. But, hey, what about the paper? I don't see anything regarding that, so... We'll see. There might be a little challenge, but you can get it digitally right now on his website, sitcomics.net. So, kind of cool. And so, next up here in Coming Soons is from Den of Geek UK. Joss Whedon announces Victorian female Batman comic book project. Mr. Joss Whedon of Avengers has unveiled his new project, has a twist, a comic book that promises to be like a Victorian female Batman. They have just a splash of picture of it. Looks pretty cool, very dark, very just sort of black and whitish, but with some splash of red, that sort of style. Very, very finger paint, very watercolory look to it. If who knows if this is going to be the final artist or whatever, but kind of cool. Big budget movie director who came from comics, of course, Buffy and etc. Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Going back to his roots. Get back into the roots there, Joss, and maybe find us some other comic book blockbusters down the road. So you know that's where he's heading with this, but it doesn't look like a title is nailed yet, but gotta get that. Joss Whedon dipping his toes back into the paper comic book realm. Love it. Some sort of female-like Batman character. I'm in. I'm in with that. All the way in. And then last up in coming soon to comics is on Playlist.com, and... It's titled, Alan Moore's Batman The Killing Joke Gets an Animated Feature Adaptation. Man, I mean, that's one of the most popular Batman comics of all time. Influenced the Dark Knight movies, the Christopher Nolan series, even Tim Burton. And, uh, man, some even say the origin of the Joker. I mean, there's so many twisted little maybe origins to the Joker. But this is one that I think is maybe a little bit more accurate. But anyway... I'm not the biggest fan of the DC animated movies, but this is one of my favorite Batman comics of all time, so I'll give it a try. I hope it's good. I hope they do it well. hope they do it justice. A lot of stuff uh, happens in The Killing Joke. If you haven't read that, grab it immediately. But excited that they're going to be doing an animated feature. So I have to, have to, have to, have to, have to check that out. And... And the last of the coming soon to a comic book in theater near you 
is from io9.com, and it says, The best comic book movie you didn't hear about at Comic-Con. And this is kind of cool. Luke Besson. He did a little movie, worked on a little movie you might have heard of called The Fifth Element. He announced a movie coming up called Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets. Says it's based on the groundbreaking comic that helped inspire Besson's The Fifth Element. And it has a picture of it, which looks very Star Wars-esque. Kind of a Millennium Falcon parked in a crazy bay of all kinds of space flying featuring rockets things etc and they had such a cool unique look to fifth element that that's what gets me excited about this i think it would definitely be something visually interesting and this is one of those that didn't get any real love at the comic-con san diego come on but it is luke besson fifth element so that's coming up i think and oh yeah it says here they've Budgeted for 180 million bucks, so it's going to be big time. It's going to be something pretty major in the realm of sci-fi for him. So exciting! Says I'm expecting some just jaw-dropping, crazy visuals in in this sort of sci-fi story, Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets. So I'm sure it's probably still a ways away. Uh, here we go, 2018 possibly, but might be something a little different still based on a, on a sci-fi comic book in the realm of fifth element so that's gonna wrap up the stories there coming soon to a comic book and theater near you the next segment i like to call not five but three feel good factoid freebie stories so these are just little stories i like to share about comic books that are maybe a little different maybe a little odd maybe a little out there this just ultimately designed to kind of make you feel good and i like to see unique stories that show comic books can affect people in positive ways and the first story is an art exhibit a lot of my feel good factoid freebies end up being art exhibits and camps comic books related to, to having like a, you know camps to help kids well this one is in, in Erie, Pennsylvania again I wish we had more of these in LA it's a art exhibit that is featuring comic books from 1940 to 1970 they're picking a particular era this is awesome uh, galleries uh, from 7 to 10 where you can go for free kind of very cool at the Erie Art Museum and they show everything in this little video from Superman to Spy oh wow just a wide range of publishers and comic book titles all in this free exhibit in Erie Pennsylvania so if you're in that area check it check it check 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 it out next is from Metro uh, UK edition and this is a little controversial I guess a little different but it's it highlights Someone that made a comic book to help them with something they were really having difficulty with. And believe it or not, this one is about abortion. And this woman wrote a pamphlet. I kind of read it, most of it. And I'm surprised that she really doesn't grandstand or stand on a soapbox or really say, this is what you should do or this is what you shouldn't do. Um, she's a person of not really of heavy religion, but she talks about it being a real spiritual moment for her. And writing it in comic book form was therapeutic for her. And she hopes that sharing this will just put people at ease or at least maybe answer or discuss some of the questions that come up in something like that. And I just thought, hey, if it helps you and it helped her, 
it, it, you know, she had to, she flexed some artistic muscles here to express something that was difficult for her. And she hopes that ultimately maybe it can help other people that have to go through something like this. So I had to talk about it. I had to highlight it and hopefully it spreads, you know, feelings of, uh, of, of maybe clarity for someone that's going through something, you know, like that. So I thought that was interesting. Metro. And that's something you, you just, you never heard of that. You never see that. I've never seen it before. And she's, she, this, this uh, woman that did this, uh, which her name was, uh, she's American based illustrator, Leah Hayes is just trying to reach out and help people with something that like this, that, you know, is a, is a tough thing to go through. So I thought that's cool. Using comic books to maybe help people with something difficult. And the next one, Noel Stevenson. <laughs> Noel Stevenson. Anyway, she uh, is. Uh, uh, the title of it says, How Noel Stevenson Broke All the Rules to Conquer the Comic Book World. This is from Vanity Fair. And they do a great piece on her. She's writing the Lumberjanes right now. And that's Eisner winner, folks. I did read it. It's definitely a girls go to camp kind of story. I didn't hang on to it, but I can see that it definitely has appeal. It's already making its way to Hollywood. She is in here. She talks about how she tried. I mean, she she didn't have a lot. You know, she doesn't have a, a lot of a lot of power in the in the industry to really keep the hold of her of her product and make it exactly the way she wants it to be. She knows it's her, one of her first pieces, so she had to give up some rights. And that's an interesting talk in here about in this article about how she battled with that, trying to keep the her artis- her artistic integrity, but yet at the same time this will help her and she's young and she feels like this isn't the only thing she's going to do. And it it shows an interesting take on that sort of battle with letting them take Lumberjanes to Hollywood. So very interesting story. Only 23 years old, winning Eisner's already, writing the Lumberjanes. And, you know, she's really created that young female voice in comics. I think that it's just not there in comic books. It's definitely filling a void. And we get to see a perspective that I think we haven't seen as comic book readers. We haven't seen that really that aspect very much. So I'm all about it. I may have to go back and check out Lumberjanes and look at Noelle Stevenson's work some more. But one that we'll all be hearing from, I'm sure, a lot more in the future is Noelle Stevenson. So those are my three a feel good, a factoid, a freebies. Hope you liked them. And before we go into the top three, a just quick memoriam. Another legend has passed away. He was 62 years old, Alan Kupperberg. And he's done so much in the realm of comics, mostly art. He did some writing as well. He passed on early with his battle with cancer. I hate you, cancer. F you, cancer. And this man has done, his body of work is insane, Alan Kupperberg, from just to name a few Amazing Spider Man, Spectacular Spider Man, the Spider Man Annuals. Uh, it just goes on and on. Incredible Hulk, Captain America, Firestorm, all the all, so many majors. Even things like he did Archie, he did National Lampoons, The Cracked Magazine. He, uh, it just his 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 cred it just is insane. And I'm only highlighting some of the stuff. Ghost Rider, Doctor Strange, he did art on. Marvel team-ups. He did the what-ifs. I was a big fan of what-ifs when I was younger. What if Wolverine and the the Hulk fought? And 
I have a lot of his work. I owned a lot of his work. He was prolific from the mid-70s all the way to early 2000s, and mostly in the realm of art. So even RoboCop, look at that. I'm looking at his list here. It's insane. Just look him up on Wikipedia. So you will be missed. Thank you for all. Thank you for your legacy. Thank you for your beautiful body of work. And you, you got to do what Alan got to do what he loved his whole life. So it's a celebration. And thank you, Alan Kupperberg, for all of your work. We appreciate it. So that's just a moment there. So now let's get on in to my top three. So my top three comic books, again, were great in a really good, small, mighty, powerful seven pull list comics this week for seven I, I don't remember the last time where my pull list has been this small but fantastic top threes so this is for new comic book day wednesday july 15th let's jump right in to the top three number three moon knight number 17 by marvel comics colin bunn's taking on this colin bunn is doing the harrow county series which i love Ron Atkins, Tom Palmer, Dan Brown. And this is interesting because our main character, Mark Spector, he is is diving into how he got his powers with this ancient deity, Khonshu. I think that's how you say it. And it's an interesting story because they're sort of building a new bad guy here, and they show this group of individuals that are taking homeless people off the street and recruiting them to panhandle and to at times even rob people so moon knight has to disguise himself and go into this fanatical group infiltrate it get to the heart of what's going on here so he he dresses himself up like a like a crazy looking bum and makes his way into the the depths of this insane religious cult and he is able to to get all in there and thwart the bad guy and meet who she claims to be his sister? <laughs> husband? <laughs> She's like, She's like, look at me, my brother, my husband. Uh, so, and she's riding on these crazy looking mole white slug monsters <laughs> with arms and legs. It's crazy. Like Jabba the Hutt's on all fours slugging around. But a lot going on here. The artist, fantastic new team, Colin Bunn, just writing was spectacular. The action scene, the fight between him and his sister, wife, <laughs> she claims. Um, great pacing, great movement. The use of the, the blue shading here is just gorgeous. And, of course, the contrasting white outfit of Mark Spector Moon Knight with the splashes of blood here, just just so so stylistic. And so it's like looking at a stained glass window it's just some beautiful coloring and look so that was my number three moon knight number 17 love it and my number two issue is from terry moore rachel rising number 35 from abstract studio and mr terry moore is in this story for the long haul he's he takes his time he's laying it out nicely here rachel our main character passed away and she doesn't have a memory as to why she rose from the great from the dead and in this one she meets her sister finally issue 35 and her sister shows her this locket inside there's a leaf and she tells her it's from the from god's first tree the first leaf that fell from there and it immediately returns her entire memory to her 
So uh, that was well done, well played. I didn't see that coming. Nice surprise. And it really just kind of starts like a whole new arc, if you will, like a whole other section. So it's almost like a great new story arc from this point because her losing her memory was somewhat a factor, but it all comes back to her in one moment. And boy, how that affects her with her memory just coming back all at one time is really well drawn. And you can feel the emotion of that moment. And ultimately, they're gods. They're angels cast down from heavens due to their sins. The sister's sin, I guess, was worse. And she keeps all memory and they're immortal. But Rachel um, loses her memory every time she her mortal body is killed. So, wow. This is a, it's a, it's a, I didn't think, I, th- I, th- I thought this was kind of wrapping up and maybe coming to an end. This is like a brand new start going into a new direction. And there's a demon that looks like is coming to town very soon. And they know it and they have to team up. They have to gather their friends and people they know in this small town to battle the oncoming demon. So that's my number two, Terry Moore's Rachel Rising, issue 35. And the number one pick of the week for new comic book day, July 15th, was Empty Zone by Image Comics by Jason Sean Alexander. Empty Zone was pick of the week before, number one, and number two is pick of the week as well. This is, uh, the art is amazing. Beautiful colors. He, they do a, like a two page splash of this classic car. Like a, it's a 62 Mercury Comet. And he just must love this car. He puts so much attention to detail in it. I bet you it has something to do with him personally. It's set away in the future. So he found a way to stick an old 62 classic car in there. And our main character is somewhat robotic, but she's having these visions of like these these bald men that are showing her various things, which we don't really know, but it's piecing it together closely. I don't want to spoil too much because it, it's just so well done. And they're helping her remember something and giving her direction to sort of what it seems like to open something up and bring something that's secret which looks like more more people like her, partly robotic with messed up memories and plugged into computers as they show this splash page where she finds a layout of like 10 bodies all sort of being experimented on and robotic implants added and whew, creepy. But just so beautifully done. The, then she has a fight scene with this sort of half zombie looking robotic appendage, insane looking monster that comes after her. Why this monster's trying to kill her? We don't really know. Just maybe because she's uncovered this room with her strange vision she's having. So, man, I just can't wait to see more of this. And the way they draw her like pale blue eyes and her crazy looking white hair and the way she sees these sort of spirits. Um, it's just like this black mist smoke with these white figure characters that are bald headed, just very creepy and cool looking. Love the sci-fi feel of it. Love the action of it. Definitely a solid, easy pick. Number one, Jason, Sean, Alexander, empty zone by image comics. Number two. Well, that's going to wrap up the show. So hope you had a good time. Hope you had fun. I did. It was an awesome week, and Ant-Man, and oh, these comics, and boy, it was just so much goodness, so much, just pounds, oodles, 
of goodness. And thanks again for following us at Sunspots Comics on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. And please keep checking out sunspotscomics.com. A lot of good stuff coming soon. ZD Zombie Destroyer coming soon. And of course, don't you forget. Have fun storming the castle.